Technology is like a powerful drug that can either improve you or make you miserable and dependent. Is it our evolutionary fate that we will become superhuman? Or is the code base of human nature inherently too fallible for the story of transhumanism to end well? Welcome to season two, episode two of the Evolve Faster podcast. I'm Scott Ely. Transhuman fallibility, the existential risk of a superhuman future. John marveled at the technology embedded in the walls. It looked more like a futuristic data center than a hospital room. His mouth almost watered as if holding back from eating the cold steel, hard plastic, and invisible software. Even his spiky blonde hair seemed to be more perked up than usual. As the doctor entered the room, John's toes danced to the music of the hissing doors as they flashed open. The doctor placed a silver box on a small table next to John. Hello, Mr. Weber. I can tell you're ready for the procedure. Hardly able to restrain from opening the box himself, John replied, Yes, doctor. At one point, I wasn't sure if you'd accept me as a test subject, but you made the right decision. The doctor smirked. Well, young man, although simple, it's still a highly experimental procedure. Not everyone wants to have something like this in their body. In reality, the list of qualified individuals is pretty thin. Your IQ and EQ levels being off the charts narrowed the field. This um, upgrade wouldn't be well received for most people. Technology is a long way from being ready for the general population. Knowing your background, you don't need me to tell you that technology is like pharmaceutical drugs. It's very powerful and can make you a better version of yourself, or it can make you miserable, dependent, and blind to reality. It could even kill you. I know, Doc. I know. That's why I'm here. John held his breath, waiting for the doctor's hand to reach for the silver box. Instead, he continued past the small case and reached into a black bag. Although you look like you're ready, I still need you to agree to the procedure terms one final time. It's not pleasant reading, but please read this again and then place your thumb under the text to confirm when you're done. Grabbing a paper-thin, transparent device with no edges, a list of risks scrolled by, sudden vomiting, fever, headaches, paranoia, memory loss, and the list went on. As he read it all again for what felt like the hundredth time, the second guessing crept back. What are the chances of the symptoms appearing? I'm mostly asking for the last one. Looking at the words schizophrenia at the bottom of the list, the doctor replied, I can't really say. The latest tests do confirm the risks of any side effects are much lower than they were two years ago. But for the psychotic breaks found in the early tests, well, we're just not sure. The changing of the animal testing requirements has honestly made this more of a wild, wild west. You just have John cut him off. But the side effects won't affect the physical and mental capabilities, right? The doctor nodded. Nothing suggests they will, that's correct. Even if you start vomiting your guts out, you'll still be able to connect to the entire world, even with your head still in the toilet. Mostly speaking to himself, John mumbled, good, good. Maybe once he started coding the nanotechnology he was about to receive, he might be able to turn down emotions like this. No one really knew the full potential, 
or the long-term risks of this technology. So for now, he just had to bite down on the fear. He had to get the injection. This upgrade was the first key step to unlocking the possibilities that were the enabler of his life's work. His position in the movement depended on it, and he'd never forgive himself if he missed this opportunity to prove his commitment to the world next month. The global audience of that holocast he was invited to be on was gigantic. So one way or another, his entire life depended on it. John's eyes fixated on the silver box. Then he looked at the doctor, all doubt gone from his face. Without that, I can't evolve faster than everyone else. John placed his thumb on the screen and a pleasant beep replied, no going back now, make me superhuman doc. The doctor took a tiny syringe out of the box and held it for John to see. The liquid could have been water until you moved it around. At certain angles, there were metallic flashes of iridescent movement within, almost like scales of a fish in sunlight. He almost wished he could hear the mechanical whir of life. This liquid was very much alive at a microscopic level. Inside this vial, he thought, is the next phase of evolution. And this time, we're in control. The inside of the cafe's windows moved with video, a first-person perspective as if moving through a thick jungle. Holographic animals appeared around the world as the scene progressed. The sound of insects seemed to come from all directions in sync with the visuals. It even smelled like wet earth and bananas. The room went from dim to bright as fake but realistic sunlight filtered in patterns across the floor. I still can't get used to these immersive experience coffee shops. Will Storia sat at a high top table wearing a black t-shirt, jeans, and a sport coat. With the press of his thumb, a second shot of espresso filled his cup. And the coffee's great, but these automatic dispensers... Sam nodded. We could have met in an old-school coffee bar if the nearest one wasn't 10 miles from campus. I'm sure there are still rude baristas at places like that, just waiting to insult our coffee knowledge. Will smiled and admired his companion for a moment before replying. Sam was a scientist, but she always looked fashionable. She wore dark jeans and a gray turtleneck sweater, her chestnut brown hair almost always pulled back in a neat ponytail. As sophisticated as she is smart, he thought. They'd sat next to each other years ago in a graduate-level statistics course and became fast friends, beginning with a shared dislike for the course they were taking. Will sipped the espresso and grimaced as the hot coffee burned his tongue. Look, while I find all this technology impressive, I just don't see why it's necessary to bring my machete with me to fight off snakes when I just need some caffeine. And yes, I also miss the human touch of having a real person brew me a coffee. Call me old-fashioned. After catching up for a few minutes, Sam cut the small talk with a question. So you said you needed me this afternoon. How can I help? Isn't today your big interview that everyone's been talking about? Who is this guy? Yes, the interview is today. And yes, there's a lot on the line with this one. His name is John Weber. He's a young tech entrepreneur who's all about human tech development. He's also amongst the first people to ignore all the risks in data and get that new nano shot, which is insane. 
I don't think they even finished testing it on animals, yet he allowed scientists to inject those little robots into his blood. To summarize, before you do, yeah, he's pretty much the polar opposite of me. And that's why there's so much on the line. He's become a very popular face of the transhumanism movement. So giving him a microphone on my platform when I haven't even published my manifesto yet is risky. Sam played with her coffee cup before replying. Well, you know I'm with you. We're on a collision course of stupidity. I've gotten myself into a lot of trouble over the last decade trying to alert people. The powerful are driving an enormous wedge between themselves and those at the bottom. Only the tiny elite at the top will be able to afford these transhuman genetic upgrades that we're already seeing. Will bit his lip. Yes, well, you know I see this a little differently, but the logical end to both of our worldviews is similar. I feel that people like John are upgrading themselves in an effort to make the next evolution of humanity infallible, which is folly. We are baking thousands of years of human nature into the technology underpinning this new superhuman class. And if you try to run new code on top of many millennia of bad code, Sam cut him off with a smirk, her eyelids raised. If you'd ever released that manifesto, or at least let me read it, then I suppose I'd understand your position better. Although the rabid nature of your followers would imply that you're already some kind of messiah. Will shrugged his shoulders. You know, L. Ron Hubbard said the only way to really make any money was to start a religion, so... Sam laughed. Who? The Karl Marx and John Rawls comparisons people make of you all the time make a lot of sense, but who in the hell is L. Ron Hubbard? Come on, Sam. I know it's 2028, but get your nose out of the physics books now and then read up on your cult history. He was one of the most prolific pulp fiction writers in America, publishing over a thousand books, much of it science fiction. He dreamed up lots of fantastical worlds in fiction that eventually he turned into one of the more bizarre cult religions called Scientology. Even though he wrote all these storylines in fiction first, and then said publicly at least a half a dozen times that he wanted to get into the religion business to make money, that still didn't prevent a small cult following worldwide. I'm sure they're still out there in some numbers, keeping their sci-fi religious dreams alive. Sam laughed. That's the bar you're setting for yourself now? Cult leader? I knew of Scientology, but not the founder's name or that story. They're the ones who use those pseudoscience meters to supposedly tell them if they have any diseases. Well, my point in telling you this is to try to explain why I've been hesitant to publish my manifesto. One of the core weaknesses in human nature is our propensity to believe story over reality or facts. Of course, it can be a strength when the story is a valuable one. But continuing with using religion as an example, why do you think these religions endure after centuries? At least in part because the stories they tell tap into human emotions and desires that we all seek. And political ideologies are equally powerful. Communism versus liberal democracy has killed millions of people in wars. Ideology is like a powerful drug. It can heal or harm. I've written a new story for humanity, Sam. And while there's nothing more important to me, I'm also very concerned that it's going to get twisted into something I never intended. Jesus never would have thought his compassionate teachings would have inspired crusades, holy wars, and the Inquisition. 
but they did. Just like Marx probably never expected his ideology to result in the death of tens of millions. These are the unintended consequences of telling powerful stories and letting humans with agendas interpret your ideas. Sam sat thinking a moment before replying. No one said changing the world would be easy, but you don't have a choice. This is your moment, Will. If I understand your thesis at all, it's calling for the need to embrace our human fallibility in the striving for individual and collective self-actualization. In the face of a growing populism towards handing off all of our thinking and even our government to machines, I'd say it's a message the world needs more than ever. Well, thank you. But I'm fallible, of course, so I'm naturally conflicted about writing the next chapter of Humanity's Path. Look, I know you need to get back to the lab, so let's discuss what I need your help with today. It's possible this might be the final episode of my show, depending on how this plays out. I want you to listen to the interview, and at the right time, do something for me. For the next 15 minutes, we'll explain the details to Sam. When he finished, she said, I know you say you're conflicted about moving forward, but that's a deadly specific plan. If you decide you need me today, I'll be ready. Sam reached out and grabbed Will's hand. Her touch gave him a jolt of warmth he wasn't expecting. He squeezed back, hoping to return the favor. Don't worry, if things don't go your way, you can always shelve your ideology, start writing pulp fiction, and start a religion the old-fashioned way. Will smiled, allowing himself to enjoy the subtle embrace. What time's the interview? Four o'clock. I still have a few hours to prepare. Check your messages in about an hour. You'll receive the rest of the details. The task is small, but the impact will be huge. I've done all the hard work in advance. You know what to listen for. Sam placed her hand on a scanner on the table, and a soft beep verified the bill was paid. Hey, what are you doing? I'm the one asking you for a big favor. The least I could do is pay the tab. That coffee makes me your first financial backer, Will, so you're in my back pocket now. Looking at his watch, Will began double-checking all the gear. His tech already confirmed they were ready, but doing so gave him comfort anyway. Only 30 minutes before John arrives. The room certainly didn't look like much to have 10 million monthly streams. The small homemade studio was covered in black soundproofing and LED lights were installed at various angles along the walls. He glanced at the camera arrays in every corner of the room, tapping preview on the tablet. A demo version of the entire room's hologram started floating inches away from the screen. The image was crystal clear. They were ready to go live. The technology had evolved, but his basic setup still worked. He'd been among the first emerging intellectuals to move his production to the holocast format. He was sure this was one of the secrets to his success. Timing, after all, really was everything. There was just something more visceral about the hologram format over simple video and audio. And his theme was also the right content at the right time. The world was changing so rapidly that it was starting to scare people. And not everyone was okay with the government being on a path to effectively merge with an AI and tech company. At least for now, Will was the voice of this counterpoint. Will stepped out of the studio and sat in his reading chair. 
a reliable old leather friend. Knowing it was best to have his voice warmed up, Will started reading aloud from his manifesto. Humanity stands at the edge of an abyss. Looking back at the mountains we climbed, we see a history of centuries of fractured civilization, inequality, infighting, and tribalism. But looking forward is a bottomless drop-off, and we stand so close to it that rocks under our feet are already careening down into its oblivion. Ahead is transhumanism, where we fully become one with technology and release to it our final stronghold, actually being human. Technology enabled us to prosper, multiply, and flourish. But it has also been a hammer for the wealthy to drive a massive wedge between themselves and the rest. We've allowed our government to be sold to the highest bidder in a trade of our freedom for security and simplicity. Human nature is running a drastically outdated operating system, a code base running on the algorithm to take more and more power over other people. The human condition is fallible. Our code cannot be used as the basis for powerful AI to upgrade and replace us because it's faulty. Our outdated, fear-based genetic code made sense when we were living in the wild and on the savanna. But the time has long since passed to evolve away from our primate ancestry. The world has changed, but human nature has not. We're at a big turning point in technological evolution. We're facing a new change encompassed in the story of making the world better. The key is upgrading the outdated code of human nature, because only then can the story of a better world become a reality. Will read until the buzzer rang. Emboldened by a refresh on his core ideals, he placed the manuscript back on the table. He took a deep breath and walked towards the front door. It's nice to meet you, John. John was a smaller man in his early 20s, wearing the standard-issue developer outfit, jeans, sneakers, and a hoodie. Dimples emerged on his cheeks when he smiled, and he exuded an energy that was palpable. Will was surprised to have an almost instant feeling of comfort. He'd known of John's charisma from videos of him online, but now it made sense how someone so young had captured the imagination of the emerging techno-culture. Will offered his hand to John. For some reason, I expected even your handshake to feel superhuman. John laughed. Hi, Will, and I expected you to have on a sport coat with a history book under your arm, so I was half right. Nice to finally meet you in person. I re-listened to every one of your previous episodes on the way over here. Your passion for and knowledge of evolutionary psychology and history are unparalleled. Are you pursuing an interdisciplinary PhD? Yes, it wasn't a simple path to set up, but my advisors finally get it now. But wait, did you just say you listened to every episode of my show on the way here? I think today's episode is number 357. John finished his sentence for him, then tapped his temple. Evolution, Will, it's all inside now. It's possible that soon we won't even have to use phones to communicate. No devices, only the pure power of humanity merging with technology. Realizing it was hanging open, Will made a conscious effort to close his mouth. 
I had no idea that was even possible with the nano-injection you received. But do you remember it all? That doesn't seem physically possible. John answered as they walked down the hall towards the studio. You're right about that. I remember it about as much as if I'd listened to them all over the past year. Meaning I could answer some questions about the episodes, who the guest was, the basic theme, but that's about it. As much as you'd forget normally, really, it's just that I can consume huge amounts of information much faster. The physiological workings of forming neural memories are simply too physical with formation of the myelin to be sped up. I've been experimenting with external storage, but that's a strange thing. The information doesn't feel like you have it. There are also some neural hard drives that work more like wetware on the market that I'll try out next. Will asked, what about side effects? I read about some of the initial studies and it was unsettling. John looked up as he replied, I did have a headache while it was processing, but nothing too serious. John was starting to look different to Will. It was, in fact, like being in the presence of a different species. Writing and speaking about superhumans was one thing, but this was his first true encounter. He also now realized he wasn't prepared to interview a man who had all the knowledge of the world at the tip of his thought. It's definitely amazing, was all that Will could muster. John sat down and tested the microphone. Yes, and what I've just explained is only scratching the surface. Of course, nothing is easy or straightforward, but we need to be not 10, but more like 100 steps ahead. Even the government is evolving towards merging with AI. People now trust machines more than humans. That's why I decided to come on your holocast, to talk about that, how I believe I can make the change easier. It's happening, Will, but it's up to people like us to help make the transition easier. Will stepped back from the interview table in an effort to physically remove himself from a cascade of thoughts. He definitely underestimated this situation. John's charisma was one thing, but the draw of the technology was more enticing than he'd expected. He had to reset his perspective if he was going to lead this interview in the direction it needed to go. One thing was for sure, inviting John on the show was the best move he could have made. It was exactly the impetus he needed, and this was the right guy to propel him into the next phase. Excuse me just one moment, John. I need to make sure my tech assistant is ready to go live. We should let the audience experience all of our discussion. When Will re-entered, the entire room clicked to life. Lights, cameras, and nearly invisible screens between them that were serving as monitors. Will sat down in the chair opposite John and said, John Weber, welcome to the next evolution. I'm Will Storia. A hologram version of the room, together with John and Will inside, appeared in the houses of millions of people around the world. This particular episode was also being simulcast to thousands of venues and university halls globally. This debate was happening at a flashpoint in the arc of humanity. First, the technological singularity was happening. AI was becoming indistinguishable from humans. And second, the company behind that AI was making a bid to merge with the government, and polls now showed that a majority was in support of the measure. 
John, Thoreau famously wrote, What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lives within us. It would seem to me that humanity stands at the edge of an abyss. Behind us is a mess of social experimentation, resulting in fragmented, conflicted, infallible human nature, primarily bent on domination. And ahead, the position which I imagine you're here today to advocate is stepping off into the unknown, using AI, robotics, genetic manipulation, nanotechnology, and the like, to try to make humans superhuman, immortal, and infallible. But my question to you is, what about the lives within us? Won't this path to perfection you'd like us to take simply stamp out what makes us human? Like injecting a lethal pharmaceutical drug directly into the vein of humanity as we know it? John turned on the charisma. Well, all I'm promoting is the idea that we should embrace evolution and, in fact, help it along so it goes a little faster. We've been messing with the path and course of evolution since the first stone tools. This is one of the primary things that makes us human. The invention and use of technology like tools, weapons, and other things to improve life for the next generation. We just happen to be alive at the most interesting time so far in history, Will. We've taken full control of evolution for the first time. As a historian, being alive and in your role at this moment must be fascinating for you as well. Well, yes, it's a fascinating moment, but you heard me refer to the future as an abyss, so I'm obviously very concerned about making sure we don't make the wrong moves. Let me step back a minute and set the stage for people. As one of the first people in the world to take the first nano shot that's fully programmable and powered by AI, what do you think will happen once it becomes available worldwide? Will it be mandatory to get infused with these nanobots at birth, like a vaccine? Coupled with the direction we appear to be going with this techno government, doesn't this all seem a little too Orwellian? Our devices are hackable. Doesn't it scare you that we soon might need a firewall protecting our minds as well? Listen, Will, I don't think it's okay to force anyone to do anything. But look at it like this. If 90 out of 100 people don't take the nano shot, what do you think will happen to that 90%? This isn't the same as the wealthy eating better food and getting paid more. This is an entirely different delineation between human capabilities. There's no way that 90% will be able to compete in any way with that 10%. If you ask me any question right now, Will, I can just give you the answer. And the AI coursing through my blood, brain, and nervous system is self-learning. So the likelihood that superintelligence evolves is, well, there's just no way a regular human will be able to compete with a transhuman. And the sooner we as a society realize that, the sooner we can all evolve together and do things we never thought possible. But that's what I don't understand, John. Do you really think it's as simple as that? Let's just pump everybody with technology and we're ready to sail toward a better world? Back in 2007, when the first smartphone came out, Will stopped when John raised his hand. I'm sorry, Will, but 2007 was only when the first iPhone came out, not the first smartphone. 
we can trace the birth of smartphones all the way back to 1992, although the term itself was coined in 1995. And now it's only 2028, and so-called smartphones are already becoming unnecessary. But please continue, and I apologize. I'm still getting used to my AI so readily and easily identifying when someone says something wrong. It feels like someone is stabbing my brain with a tiny needle until I correct them. Will clenched his fist. Arrogance was now emerging from John, where there had been none. It was as if the nano was making him not only confident, but making him feel superior. He straightened up in his seat, suddenly remembering this wasn't radio, then continued. What I was saying was, isn't it naive to think that just with a new tool, humanity would become better? Sure, the bigger the muscles one has, the more one can lift. But being stronger doesn't provide motivation to go out and help others. I'm impressed by your capabilities that already go far beyond mine. But you're a smart guy, and it appears you have plans to manage this upgrade responsibly. Not everybody else will do the same. Most who upgrade won't acknowledge the parts of our troubled human nature, which will just get exacerbated by these abilities. Like, for example, the deep-seated, egoistic desire to be better than others and have power over them. Humans are fallible, biased, hypocritical, tribal, swayed by emotion, and illogical. We're going to pass all of that on to our transhuman counterparts, superpowered by AI, and as you pointed out, this small subset is likely to drive an enormous wedge between the tech-haves and the tech-have-nots. Upgrading is going to be like a drug placebo effect. You'll think you're different in all ways, even if you're not. It's going to change the way you perceive those who aren't upgraded, like a sort of high-tech racism. So what are you saying, Will? That we should go against these developments? Try to ebb the progress of humanity and tech? It's a bit too late for that. The new tech government is finally making an impact and removing the political dinosaurs of the past for the sake of a better world. We will finally transcend the foolishness that plagued us for millennia. You're practically calling for humanity to slow down on technological development in a society that effectively has a tech company running the country. That's like saying ice cream is bad in a country run by an ice cream company. We'll have to, we'll cut him off, feeling his blood pressure starting to rise with John's increasingly condescending tone. But he was also concerned. If a smart guy like John couldn't understand what he was saying, how would anyone else? I'm not saying technology is bad. I'm saying we need to slow down. I'm saying we need to be careful to not exponentially exacerbate the existing problems in the world. Handing over the keys to AI and technology is not going to make for a happier existence for all living beings, which should be the goal. Nano-infused people and cyborgs running around the streets won't automatically make life better, especially when the distribution of these capabilities will not be equal in any way. It might, but not without the right mindset. Will's heart raced, but he kept pushing. History is repeating itself. It's just that the God in question is different this time. Human minds are fallible, and praying to the tech gods won't make us better. It will just take the problem from one box and put it in another. What you're saying sounds like a religion baked into a story of paradise that's been rehashed and replayed countless times. 
a story that promises we don't have to do anything because someone else, be it AI or God, will take care of everything for us. And one of the greatest ironies in history, we're showing off our gross fallibility by thinking we can make ourselves infallible via some upgraded version of ourselves. But we need to look no further than our long, long history of bad code to know that seeking perfection is a mistake. John snapped back. You certainly talk the talk, Will, but when are you going to walk the walk? I injected myself with tiny nanobots to prove my commitment to what I feel is next for humanity. You still haven't even published the supposed manifesto of yours. If you can't synthesize your ideas after 350 episodes of this show, then maybe there's not actually an idea there after all. Will shook his head, but he did so in anger at himself as opposed to disbelief. John was right. He sat upright in his chair and pointed his finger at John, saying, Okay, let's take your argument to its logical conclusion. Even if we manage to solve every single problem, reaching this transhumanism pinnacle of no one working, no one suffering, everyone practically living forever, do you really think we'll be able to call ourselves and our lives fulfilled? Perhaps you'll be fine because you're smart and self-motivated, but what about the average person? No job, no challenges, only an infinite amount of data to crunch without having to move a finger. Do you really think people will find happiness and meaning in that? Will stopped. If he said the words, Sam would proceed. It was now or never. Come on, John. It's time to remove this veil of ignorance and see ourselves for who we really are. A trickle of sweat rolled down his forehead. It felt so large that Will imagined it was glinting like sunlight in the harsh studio lighting. As if needing a visual representation that there was no going back, the lights on the base of the holocast generator in the center of the room began rapidly flickering as a flood of questions and comments swamped the server. John shuddered and looked at Will with wild eyes. Will, what have you done? What's going on? Then he fell silent. He sat frozen as if in a trance for what felt like minutes. What I've done, John, is started walking the walk. I have, and that's when John screamed, clutching the sides of his forehead. The microphone squealed and one of the cameras dislodged from the wall as John's chair tipped back, toppling him onto the floor. The last thing millions of viewers around the world heard was Will yelling, cut the feed. Rubbing the heavy bags under his eyes, he inspected the bandages from an IV on his left hand and fresh injection marks on the veins of his right arm. He shuffled to the bathroom and swallowed two of the nausea pills. After nearly retching upon looking at himself in the mirror, he opened the pill case and swallowed a third. With his pale skin, John hardly looked human. Back at his computer, John continued watching the replay of the holocast with Will, but shut it down just before his collapse with the smirk. 250 million views, who would have thought? John shook his head, thinking back to the scene, inciting another jolt of pain. The last thing he remembered was suddenly knowing that Will had published his manifesto as they were speaking. The nanotechnology and the AI seemed to have a life of their own sometimes, and the next thing he knew, the entire text of it 
was screaming across his consciousness. The neurologists assumed it was the heightened stress combined with the neuronal overload of the book being rapidly consumed, which caused the stroke. They said he was lucky to be alive. He was still seeing a psychiatrist on doctor's orders to make sure there hadn't been an actual psychotic break. Another stream popped up featuring Will, and he clicked play. This one was a hologram of Will addressing a huge live audience. The crowd's reaction wavered between intelligent questions to ideological tribalism, with a consistent degree of radical religiosity from all. But Will, for his part, hadn't seemed to change. His responses were calm, clever, cogent, and dismissive of the crazy. It was good to see the fame hadn't affected him. In fact, John thought he looked and sounded as persuasive and realistic as ever. John scanned his messages for the one Will had just sent him the day before. He read it. Hi, John. I hope the nano-removal, or destruction, went well. You used to be the only person I knew who had tiny robots swimming in his blood. And now, you're the only person I know who had to be zapped with an EMF pulse to shut down little robots in his blood. I'd say that makes you the most interesting person I've ever met. The response to my manifesto and our chat has been encouraging at best and bipolar and insane at worst. It's run the gamut from people asking me to run for president to people telling me I should hang myself. You know, the old fashioned way because I'm supposedly anti-technology. Per our conversation, I'm sure you read that the AI recommended the government make work illegal for 90% of the population. It took a century for them to sell our souls to corporations, but it's barely taken a decade for them to practically merge with this AI. Even Huxley would have been appalled at this literal brave new world of corporate tech takeover of government. I'm taking liberties and paraphrasing, of course, they'd never say it so directly. Their rhetoric was much better, saying that this now comprehensive universal basic income will ensure no one will have to endure working again. They can't seriously think that UBI alone can replace the value that work adds to people's lives. I actually really do hate being right about these things. This singleton techno government has the potential to be like chemotherapy was for early cancer treatments killing off all the good stuff, while it also, hopefully, addresses the real problems. There has to be another path for us. Best of luck with Silk. I don't know what kind of world you're creating, but I trust it will be even more brave than their hopeless one. All the best, Will. John tried to smile, but he grimaced at the pain instead. Closing the message, he got back to work. He was grateful Will was such a gracious person. It took a near-fatal situation to prove to himself that the technology and its promise was flawed. It had also very quickly exaggerated his emotions, making him feel drastically superior to Will. The memory overload had been a blessing in disguise. On one of his screens, he had opened the text of Will's manifesto as reference. He shut down all the other windows except a black screen filled with software coding. On the screen behind the code, an animation of a digital veil flowed fluidly from wind that wasn't real. After the incident, he'd abandoned his original idea of a platform for transhumans. 
John was now working on something that might actually save people from the world that was being forced upon them. Will was right. Our human fallibility is a feature, not a bug. Perfection is not an option. The Evolve Faster podcast is written, produced, and performed by Scott Ely. Many episodes are also co-written with the help of Antonio Rosich. It takes an enormous effort to produce all the quality, original content needed for this podcast. Your support would be greatly appreciated, and you can learn about multiple ways to do so by going to evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Here you'll find direct links to review and give the podcast five stars on key platforms like iTunes and share it on social media. These are free to do, but are critical to audience growth. And the only way to find out about new seasons is to register your email, so please do so. You will only receive valuable content and information on upcoming seasons and products. And finally, if you're benefiting from the Evolve Faster podcast, direct financial support at whatever amount you can afford is important for our survival. Running ads on a channel for free-thinking content is an inherent conflict of interest. So if you want the podcast content to remain unhindered by commercial interests and stay edgy and raw, then direct support is the best and only path to content independence. Also, writing and production of each episode of the Evolve Faster podcast is a major undertaking spanning many months. It's a labor of love, but it does need your help to survive. So please consider becoming a subscriber at evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Your help and support are greatly appreciated and are what makes this podcast possible. Isn't it time for an upgrade? It's time to evolve faster. Evolve faster.